Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Okay. I think that's everything for our picnic. Let's do a double check. Bunch meat? Check. Uh, mustard? Check. Bread? I could have swore I put it somewhere. Oh, there it is. All right, I think we're ready to go. Let's do it. They thought they were alone. But they were wrong. What was that? Oh, uh, it's probably nothing. Let's make a sandwich. That was definitely something. There's only one man who could save them. Open up, please! Open up! Seen it before. Hunts like a wolf, runs like a man, he's felt fear from a mile away. There's no escaping it, but there's gotta be a way. It's here. You guys are in these. What's that one? That's mine. something. Don't miss. Hunted. Come on, so good. I love it. Hey, let's be honest, little Sadie Poteet was really the star of that whole thing. Don't miss. Uh, so good. Hey, if you're new to ACF, we're just glad that you're here today. My name is Brian, and uh, we are in a series called Hunted. And uh, I always feel an obligation to tell you there is no real movie, by the way. So if you're like, where do I get the tickets? It's, it doesn't exist. So we're having a little fun. We are, we are in the middle of this series. We're talking about the spiritual battle that exists around us. And last week, uh, really spent some time making a case for the idea that there are demons and that there is a devil that does want to seek and kill and destroy. And, and so I don't know where you're at with church or faith in Jesus or any of this stuff here today. And so this might be kind of like a, a lot to take in if this is your first week back to church in a while or you've never been to church before. But I would really encourage you watch last week's message. I uh, really lay out a foundation for believing that, man, there is a deeper thing going on here and that be, behind all of the, the broken things in this world, behind all of the pain and destruction, there is a there really is a demonic force that exists. And so um, if you're like, man, I don't know, is this one of those churches? It's like big demons and devils. Like just watch last week. Okay. So made a case last week for it. And, and really the, the whole goal is to work through some of our different um, misconceptions about this whole idea of the spiritual battles. And I said last week, either people are, they're obsessed with it or they're oblivious to it. Either we live and we, it's all we think about is these demonic things and especially coming into Halloween. It's all the scary movies are going to be on TV or you live like it doesn't Exist. And I want to tell you this, if you're a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, to believe in Jesus is to believe that there are d demons in the world. There's a demonic force that's working against you. Like you don't really take one without the other. And so we as a church family, especially right now culturally, want to be awake and aware to the fight that's happening around us because there's so much division, so much fighting. And so uh, behind all of that is, uh, is a force. And we said this about Satan, is he does have power in this world. We do see him right now in this moment. Although Jesus has come and, and has died on the cross for the sins of the world, has conquered sin and death through his resurrection, we are waiting on a day that Jesus will return to earth and establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
So it's, it's kind of like this, the war is won, but the battle still continues. Does that make sense? Like we will continue to battle to the day that Jesus returns and he banishes the enemy from this earth for eternity. And so that's really where we find ourselves in the story. And we said we have a decision to make. That the enemy wants to feed us lies. And, and, and one of his names is the deceiver. And really at the root of everything he says is deception. He is here to lie to you, to tell you the things that will give you life will give you death, and to tell you the things that will give you death will give you life. And every single day when we wake up in the morning, we have a decision to make. We can either drink in the lies and experience the wrath and uh, the judgment of God, or we can drink in the truth of Jesus and experience the grace and the peace of God. And so we have a decision to make every single day. And if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend some time today. But I've got a few texts I want to jump to before we get there, just to kind of lay a foundation for today. We're talking about decoys and deception. How does the enemy work? What are the tactics of the, of the enemy? How do we see him at work around us? In fact, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament and uh, planted most of these uh, first century churches, he writes in 2 Corinthians this, this, this message to his people because the church is really struggling. And the church is struggling because there, there's relational fallout happening. And maybe you've been in a church before. Maybe you're part of a de-churched crowd. And you, you really, this is your first time back to church in a while because your church growing up was so divisive. Like people did not love each other. There was not a lot of Jesus in the church, which is a problem. And, and so within this early church, there's nothing new under the sun. What they're dealing with is, is unforgiveness, relational turmoil. There's problems in the family of God. And Paul knows it's going to undermine the potential of God's work in them and through them. And he says this in verse 9. He says, another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan, listen to this, might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See what, see what Paul does? He says, your unforgiveness isn't just about you. It's not only coming from you. It's actually being used by the enemy, the hunter, to, to devour you, devour the church, and take you away from God's plan for you. And this can be overwhelming, right? Like, man, it's, if, you, if you start to believe in this stuff, it can be scary to think, man, there's an enemy that probably knows me better than I know myself. We said this last week, the devil, he, he has power, right? It's a restricted power. He's like a dog on a leash, but he has power in the world. And, and so we know that, and it can, it can feel overwhelming. Like, how could I ever stand up? To this. I was reading a book by Chip Ingram this week called The Invisible War. You can grab that if you want to kind of study some of this stuff a little deeper. But he makes this point that I want to start off all of this today with because um, I think it would be a mistake if I communicated in any way that when it comes to the spiritual battle, you just have to be strong enough. You just got to gotta fight it out and you got to win. Like, like you got to stand up and, and that if you stand up and if you strengthen yourself all on your own, like you can fight the battle, but that's not how we fight this battle. Here's the truth, is that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Amen, right? Like, we don't fight because, like, we want to win. We believe that the battle is already, already won by Christ, that he has overcome sin and death, and the enemy is defeated, right? Like, he is running with his tail between his legs, but he's fighting all the way. And he's, he wants to devour us and our families and our relationships and, and, and definitely the church, I love, this is, this is so much truth in this text. 1 John 5 says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Amen to that. Like, like all of that's coming at you, all the temptation, all the struggle, like those who are born of God overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Here's the answer. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So where are you at with this? Like, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Uh, or do you, do you come to church once in a while? You have a couple Bibles in your house. If there is a real battle that exists that seeks to, to tear you apart, do you believe in Jesus? Because this is where the power lies, is in Christ himself. There is no power in you. I promise you this. If you're fighting without Christ, you are losing. You are losing. No matter how strong you think you are, you're here today, and you're like, man, I've been able to kick some bad habits and, you know, kind of coach myself up and get better at life. No. You are losing the war if you don't have Christ living in you. No matter how much you think you're winning, the one who overcomes is the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
So at the root of this, the way the enemy works, I believe, we're going to just talk about kind of a small part of this, is through deception. And uh, there's deception everywhere in our culture. We live in the world like fake news, right? Uh, everything on the internet has like, find real information here, and that information isn't real, and the next information isn't. We don't know what we can believe anymore. It always seems like somebody's trying to deceive us. I remember as a kid, I used to love the art of deception, which is what we call magic, right? Or magic tricks. I used to get all these books about card tricks, and I would, I'd go to Barnes and Noble, and you know, I'd stand there in the, in, the, in the section with magic, and I'd read all the books because I didn't want to buy them. I don't know if anybody else does this. So I'd stand there for like four hours reading all the books and taking little notes. And, and I'd go home, and I remember showing my, my family these magic tricks. And I loved that with just a little sleight of hand, I could totally deceive them. Something about that got me fired up. Uh, some kind of joy and deception, I don't know. But, but maybe you've been deceived in that way, just in, a, in just a small way, and you know the power of deception. Maybe you went on that dating site and you found that guy or girl, and you were like, oh, she looks cute, he looks really cute, and you go to that first meeting at the restaurant, and you sit down at the table, and you're like, this can't be the same person. And as you get to have the conversation, you realize that profile photo was from 25 years ago, and things have changed, as they have with you. But anyway, like that's we just go like, that's not what I thought I was going to get. That's not what I thought I would see. Maybe you've been deceived by the fine print. You signed a document or some kind of agreement, and you didn't read it all because who reads all the fine print, right? It's a waste of time until it's not, until now you're in a load of trouble, and you go back, and you're digging through all the documents. What in the world did we sign? And you feel like you've been deceived. I think even Christians, we've been guilty of um, what I would call the bait and switch, where we tell somebody, hey, this is what it's like to follow Jesus, but it's just not totally true. And maybe you walked away from the church for a while because you, you heard about Jesus and somebody kind of fed you this, this bill of goods, like, follow Jesus, you're going to get the girl, the house, the job, everything you always wanted, it's going to be easier, and it got harder. And you said, well, then this isn't for me. I think far too often, because we have a desire to see people find the truth of Christ and find peace in their life that we try to maybe minimize the challenges of following Christ. I mean, really, it is a sacrifice. And, and if you just watch Jesus and you see the, the sacrifices he made, he is the model for what it looks to be faithful to God. And we know Jesus walked through his life all the way to a cross. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, anyone who offers you a Christianity without tears is most certainly selling you something. There will be tears. But joy will come in the morning. We believe that. There will be tears, but there will be a joy that we experience in the morning. Ultimately, in the end, God will give us everything we need. Maybe you've been bait and switched in that way. Or maybe a Christian invited you to church and they're like, no, no, you can trust my church. Just come as you are. And you came as you are and they found out who you are and they wished you wouldn't come. And you were like, oh, it's one of those churches. I get it. I'm not welcome here. And you felt the bait and switch. Any, uh, any waiters or waitresses in the room? Any of you done a little bit of that? Okay, a couple of you guys. So maybe you've been here before where, you know, you're working hard, you're trying to keep track of all the tables, and, uh, you know, you, you get to the end of, you know, this hour, and the, the family's left, and, and, and you're like, okay, here's my tip. I'm working for tips. And you go over there, and you see one of these on the table. And you think, that's awesome. I got a million-dollar tip. Pretty good for an hour's worth of work. And then you flip it over, and you see, oh, the million-dollar question, will you go to heaven when you die? Now, if you're a waiter, you're like, that stinks, right? Like, here's the deal. And if you've given these away, no shade. I'm not throwing shade at you. Just leave a really good tip if you're going to leave one of these on the table, right? Waiter, waiters and waitresses, like, leave a decent tip if you're going to leave one of these. But, but this is a, it's a bait and switch, right? Which, just side note, by the way, our community should be really excited for church to get out on Sunday morning because the tip's going to get awesome, right? Because all the Christians are going to show up and be really generous. Are you with me? Nobody's with me. All right, sweet. I'm going to preach a different sermon now then. If you're not, anyway. We want to be generous people, right? We want to be generous to our community and communicate the generosity of God, right? So just, that's my side note. Christians should be the best tippers. So uh, if you've got Matthew chapter 4, we're going to be in this text that's talking about this moment in Christ's life where he is beginning his ministry. Um, he's grown up and learned the scriptures and like, like we have, he's just kind of been growing up to this point. And God is going to call him into something powerful here. And what we see in this moment, actually in chapter 3, is Jesus ends up getting baptized. This is the baptism of Jesus. This is a really important text because if you ever want to look for the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit together in one in the Bible, this is one of the places you go. 
Because in this moment, you see the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. We believe that God is one. He's one God, three persons, one God. And Jesus is there, and he's going to get baptized. And the Father says something to the Son, I think, that will shape the rest of Jesus' life. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And if we do anything in the church today, I think it's that we minimize the humanity of Jesus. We forget that we can relate to Jesus. And the Bible says Jesus has been tempted in every single way that we've been tempted, yet he's overcome that temptation. And so in this moment, the Father is preparing the Son for what he's about to begin. He, he hasn't done anything really spectacular at this point. No miracles, right? Nothing that impressive. And this is what the Father says to the Son. Matthew three seventeen says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. These words, I believe, probably stuck in Jesus' head all the way to the cross. Like, like I, hey, can you think of somebody in your life that has said something to you, somebody you love, and they spoke such life into you. You will never forget that moment. You can remember what, you know, the smell was in the room. You can remember the coffee that you were drinking. You can remember everything about their face when they said this. This is that kind of moment for Jesus. The Father, God, God of the universe looks at Jesus and says, you are my son and I'm pleased with you. Notice he doesn't say, I will be pleased with you. He doesn't say, hey, do what I ask you to do and then I'll be pleased. He says, I am pleased with you because you're my son. And I hope that you, man, if, if you get nothing else from church today, I hope that you, if you're a Christian, would walk away with just that. That before you get out of bed in the morning, the father looks at you as his son, as his daughter, and says, because you're my son, because you're my daughter, I'm pleased with you already. Everything else is simply responding to the grace of Jesus. And so then it, the story changes. Like things kind of take a shift, and Jesus then goes from this moment of baptism from the water to the desert. He goes from the baptism to the battle. And like this is where it all begins. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So don't miss this. The baptism of Jesus was what led to the then Jesus was tempted. I, I, I believe wholeheartedly that this moment of affirmation from God was literally what qualified Jesus for what was about to happen. It's what allowed Jesus to walk faithfully in what was about to happen was the Father started with affirmation of who he was. Continuing on, it says in verse 2, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yep, I would be too. I don't know how long you've gone without food. I'm pretty hungry after about missing one meal. And so 40 days, 40 nights, no food. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up on, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. So here we are, Jesus being tempted. As we look at our lives, we are often tempted and we need to begin to see the enemy for who he was. And I was envisioning this moment this week as I was kind of thinking about this, and I was thinking, what did the devil show up like? What did he look like? And, and I, I don't know what your background is or maybe what movies you've, you've watched, but it'd be easy to think he showed up as this little, like, bald demon thing with the a tail and, you know, the horns and the pitchfork and, and something scary, right? That would make a lot of sense to us, but I honestly don't, I don't know if he showed up that way. The, the Bible says that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. We know he's one of the most, or the most beautiful of all the angels before he fell from heaven, right? So we know that to be true. And so maybe he showed up as just somebody looking very pleasant. I was thinking this week, maybe he showed up looking like one of the disciples, one of Jesus' close friends. Uh, wouldn't that be deceptive? Like if, have you ever done this where you see somebody and you're like, man, I already like you because you look like my brother or you look like this friend I had growing up. And so there's already this affection you have for somebody, even though you know nothing about them. 
Maybe he showed up as a child. That's kind of creepy, but like maybe he's walking like this little girl walking around, tempting Jesus, speaking to Jesus. It would make sense that he's trying to deceive. And there's a reason that hunters wear camouflage, right? Because they don't want to be seen. And the devil certainly acts in this way. And so he goes into the desert for 40 days. And there's a lot of biblical significance of 40. We know Moses and Elijah, they fasted for 40 days. And so Jewish believers that were reading this later would have seen the significance of Jesus, this, this rabbi, going and fasting for 40 days. He must be something special. There's something happening in the life of Christ here. And he's alone, and, and he's tired, and he's hungry. And, and remember this. This is important. Jesus doesn't get lost in the desert. He wasn't like trying to find his way home, and he's like, batteries on his GPS die. And he's like, where am I? Oh, I'm in a desert. And he's wandering around like the spirit of God led him intentionally into the desert to be tempted. That was the purpose of it. Like when you and I go to a desert, the first thing we want to do is get out of it. Jesus is like, I want to be in the desert because this is where the good work's going to happen. And I was thinking this week, like, why would he be in the desert and then get tempted? This seems like the wrong thing to do to me. Um, if I'm, if I know I'm going to be tempted by the devil, the, the thing I want to do is I want to be, I want to eat some steak, Right? I want to get some sleep. I want to go sit on a beach somewhere. I want to be all physically as strong as possible so I can overcome the temptation, right? It's not how it works with Jesus. Jesus, at his physically weakest, was only then prepared to deal with the temptations of the enemy. This is one of these crazy kingdom, kingdom realities. It's just upside down from the way we think. Because here's, here's the reality, whether you know it or not. It's that when I am weak, he is strong. That's the truth. But when I am strong, I make the work of God weak in my life. Have you been there before? Like right now, most people don't show up to church for the first time ever because life is just going awesome, right? I'm physically healthy. Life's going well. My kids just listen to me. I don't know what to do. Like they die. I'm so bored with my life because everything's going so great. I should go to church tomorrow. Nobody does that. It's always when the relationship fell apart or the you know, finances are struggling. Something's going wrong. You're weak. So you run to Jesus, but I think we're all tempted in this way at those moments of weakness. That's really where we are prepared to call out to God and, and to trust in his power and not our own, right? Because you know, Jesus, he overcomes this not by the strength that he had on his own, but by the power of the spirit who led him into the wilderness. And so the tempter, the devil comes to him, verse three, and he said, listen to these words, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Notice where the devil begins with Jesus. The devil begins with his identity. The words, if you are, can cut any of us to the very core. Some of you have been cut to the, if you're really a man, do this. If you really want to be my wife, do this. If, if you're really a mom, do this. If you're really whatever it is, if you're, re, if you're a real boss, you would do this. This is how the devil begins, is by attacking Jesus at the core of who he is. And all I know is whenever I hear those words, bad things are coming after them. If you have a pen, write this down. At the root of many poor choices is the belief that we have something to prove. Can you think of things in your life that ever went well because you were trying to prove something? Like ever. I mean, I can think of a lot of terrible decisions and terrible things I've said because I had something to prove. I cannot think of a whole lot that went well because I had something to prove. In this moment, um, Jesus, it's interesting, is tempted by bread. That's what the devil uses. Something very simple. And, and in the first century, this is, this is a common meal. Still to this day, if you go uh, to the Middle East, people eat lots of bread. It's a very basic way to uh, provide sustenance for yourself. And it's interesting, bread has a lot of significance, right? Later, Jesus feeds 5,000 people with bread, right? Uh, we, we see later, Jesus actually calls himself the bread of life. Communicates, hey, any other bread, you're going to be left hungry, but I'll actually fill you up and be everything you need. And so it's interesting that the enemy says, hey, just turn these stones into bread. I know you're hungry. Why don't you just do it? Well, here's the deal. The bread is a decoy. He's trying to take him away from what God is doing in his life. Now, when you think of a decoy, I don't know what you think about. I mean, you might think of an object, but a decoy is also an action. Here's what it literally is defined as. Decoy is to lure or entice a person or animal away from an intended course, typically into a trap. This is what it means to decoy someone. 
And this is what the enemy wants to do. Do you see the tactic of the hunter? Think, think about this. Satan, he brings up a question about his identity. Just 40 days ago, the father had said, I am pleased with you before you do anything else. Brings up a question. If you are who you say you are, show your power right now. Don't trust God to provide for you, the Father to give you what you need. No, just tap into this, this power that you have because I know that you are God in the flesh and just turn these stones into the bread. So he brings up a question about his identity, baits him in with his human cravings for bread, something very simple, and wants him to just forget what the Father has said about him and take matters into his own hands. That's what a decoy is, just to lure or entice us away. Now, there's different kinds of decoy decoys. Um, I would say there are overt and covert decoys. Does that make sense? Like overt decoys, <clears throat> they're things that maybe are clearly wrong, like things that you just can't miss. Like this is a wrong thing. This is an unhealthy thing. Like people know when it's an overt decoy. Like maybe it's uh, that attractive coworker at work that's coming on to you, and you're a married man or married woman, and, and you know like, hey, this is, this is literally somebody being used by the devil, trying to destroy my marriage. And you can call it out and you can see it for what it is. And you're like, man, this is, this is not good. I'm not going not gonna to give into this temptation. Maybe for you, you, you started with just having a beer after work and it's turned into like over drinking, right? You're, you're medicating with alcohol and numbing yourself to the reality of the struggles of your life. Like you're in the desert and you're like, at least I could not feel the desert right now. And so you you just drink too much, right? And so it's something that, you know, like I, I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't be drinking too much. It's a problem. My friends, my family, they're worried about me. And so it's like, a, it's, it's taking me away from what God wants for me in my life. And I can, I can see it. It's very, it's very visible. Maybe you're a teenager and you were house sitting and you saw a little bit of money on the counter, right? And it's an over decoy. You're like, okay, yep, I could use a few extra bucks right now, but and maybe you gave into it or maybe you didn't, but these type of things are again, they're to lure us away into a trap away from God's plan for our lives. Those are, those are over decoys. And honestly, those are not that effective. I mean, we've all fallen to them before, but the more effective decoy is a covert decoy. And covert decoys are morally neutral things that become bad things or sin in our lives when they sideline us from God's plan for us. So let me give you some examples. So something like spending money. This could be a covert decoy. Nothing wrong with spending a little bit of money, right? But some of you guys, you get a, you get a happy, happy face box at your front porch every morning, right? Like every single morning. And it's like Christmas because like you've ordered so much stuff every single, you've forgotten what you've ordered at this point, right? So it's like, what did somebody get me? Oh, it's me. I bought it. So you open it up and, and you never even know what it's going to be. And so every day is this like you're, you're, you're dealing with something that's wrong in your life and you're feeding it um, and trying to feel better by just buying more than you should. And it's like literally becoming a problem for you. Maybe... It's something as simple as phone usage, right? Like, I, I think phone usage is a legitimate addiction in the world today. I know it's been for me before. And so um, some of you know this summer, in fact, I took six weeks and I shut my phone off. I literally called AT&T and I said, shut the number off. You know you can do that? I mean, it's, it was freedom. So I just want to encourage you. Sometimes you just got to shut it off. And it was so good, but... Yeah, for some of us, like, there's nothing morally wrong about a phone. I can't go to, like, First John, whatever, and be like, do not use your phone too much. But I can certainly see how, as a dad, it's, it's hurt my relationship with my kids, with my wife, with my friends. It's, it's kept me from just sitting in a moment and where I could be speaking to people around me and showing uh, some compassion to someone. I just distract myself with my phone and try to look busy. And so it definitely can keep me from what God wants for me. How about something as simple as this? Just skip in church. So you guys showed up, you know, like you showed you for whatever reason, you got out of bed today and you showed up here and there's nothing morally wrong about not being at church. Like I can't, I can't say like, if you miss church a week, like that's a, that's a sin. But I can say that when, when we abandon the family of God and think that we can live this life faithfully on our own, we are lying to ourselves and believing the lies of the enemy. And so again, it can, it can just be this slow slip where we disconnect from the family of God, or at some point, you know, our kids are grown up and they're out of the house and we're like, well, why aren't they going to church? Why don't they take their faith seriously? And we look back and we're like, oh, because I was preaching a sermon every week that church didn't matter, that family didn't matter, that, that, that what God wants for us doesn't matter. I, I never preached that it mattered by the way I live my life. And so it's a slow slip into those things. How about different hobbies? How about the things that you just, I love, I've got all kinds of hobbies, Alaska provides lots of hobbies. 
And they're good things that he can use, but at the same time, they can become distractions and obsessions. How about relationships? Relationships can be a covert decoy. Some of you, all you can think about is the relationship that you're not in. And others of you, all you can think about is the relationship that you're in. You know, either all we can think about is getting into a relationship or wishing we were not in a relationship. And so this can be a, a covert decoy and it can, it can distract us from what God wants to, to say to us. Now, some of you are thinking, well, okay, Brian, I'll just stop taking the bait. Okay, there it is. Like I, I can see it in my mind. I know what it is. I'm going to stop taking the bait. That's just not how it works. You can't really overcome the enemy by your own strength. That's just not how it works. In fact, the video that we showed at the beginning, it's, it's, it's just a, a joke, something to be fun. Like, you know, get flamethrowers and guns. That is not how you overcome the enemy, by the way. You can't get enough flamethrowers and rocket launchers to kill the enemy. The only thing you can do is stand on what God says is true about you. It's the only thing you can do. You see, I think, I think this is true. The reason we take the bait is because we don't believe and understand who God says we are. That's at the root of what Jesus is experiencing here. The enemy, he's smart. He knows that just some bread's not enough. You know, we see Jesus spending time with the prostitutes. Just somebody who wants to maybe throw themselves at Jesus, that's not enough. Like, the enemy wants to attack who, he's, who he is, like who he believes he is. Now, how do you know if you've been kind of taking the bait lately? There, are there some symptoms in your life? If you don't know what it is, how are you going to overcome it and know that maybe you've been giving into it? Well, I kind of wrote down a few things that I see in my life and in other people's lives where when people are taking the bait, here's what happens. When you're taking the bait of the enemy, all of a sudden, Jesus stops being a substitute for your sin and becomes more like a life coach. I don't know if that makes sense. Like he stop, it stops being, man, I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus. He, he has taken all of my sin. I am, I am now established in who I am in Christ Jesus. I never have to prove anything to anyone for the rest of my life because I know who God says I am. It moves from that over to here to Jesus just wants to make my life better. And, and, and a lot of people go to church for that for the first time. That They're like, hey, I just, I don't know how to be a better parent, so I want to come to church. I just want to be a better person, a better friend, or stop having so many problems. And then Jesus turns into like a, a life coach instead of your savior, right? Instead of the one who loves you and died for you. We know we're taking the bait when we stop loving God. We just become really religious. Have you been there? Just kind of fallen into that trap of just doing things and just showing up to church on Sunday morning and you still, you're like, I'm not even sure why I'm here. It's not out of affection for God or love for his family. It's like, man, this is just my, my routine. Or, Maybe you, you, you fall into this trap. You, you stop loving people and you just try to sign up on a, on a serve team to, to serve once a month, right? Which if you're on a serve team at ACF today, like we talk about this every single week. We huddle up together. We pray for everybody else that's, that's come in here today. And we're always talking about, we want to see the people that show up today. Like we're not here to prove like, look how holy I am because I held a door open. We're here to say, we love you and God loves you. And you have a family here and you have a place like you can belong here. That's the point. But you know you're taking the bait when it just turns into some way of pleasing God. Maybe you do this. Maybe you memorize some Bible verses and you trade that for actually getting to know the heart of God in your life, actually seeking his voice in your life. Whatever the bait is in your life, whatever it is, here's what I think everybody needs to hear today. And it's just this, don't eat the bread. Don't eat the bread. Like whatever it is, you got to start with that. You got to identify what the bread is and how the enemy's at work, what the tactic is, and go like, okay, I'm just going to stop by resisting that for a moment in my life and going, okay, I'm going to reset and just listen to what God might say to me about who I am. This is so important. Because when you know who you are, you'll always know what to do. If you ever don't know what to do, go back to who you are. Go back to God. What do you say about me? And it's, it's crazy how much clarity you'll get in your life about simple little day-to-day decisions when you spend time going, Okay, this is who God says I am. I'm going to receive that today. So Jesus, he's got a decision to make. Am I going to eat the bread? And I, I fully believe Jesus was tempted in this moment. This was a real temptation, right? He really was tempted. Is he going to follow the flesh or is he going to follow the spirit? That's really a decision. Am I going to give in to the flesh or give in to the spirit? The devil wants you to live by the flesh. And, and one of the most well-known passages is in First. Peter 5.8, about spiritual battle and about the devil. It says this, be alert. 
and of sober mind. So you got to be sober you know, just to start. So be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Right? So he's saying like, hey, I know it's easy to distract yourself, to numb yourself from what's going on. But if you're numb, you're not going to see the devil at work. Right? At a basic level. But then he goes on. He says, this devil, he's like a lion. Literally wants to eat your flesh. Okay? It's kind of gross, but that's the illustration. Now, I don't know if you've watched any uh, National Geographic before or seen actual lions. It's crazy. Uh, a few years ago, I was able to go visit um, Kenya, and uh, we flew into Nairobi, and we're visiting some Compassion International sites and some really cool work that's happening over there. And one of the days, they were able to take us out on this little safari. So we're driving around. I'm like, ooh, what kind of animals are we going to see? We're going to see lions, you know. And I'm like, lions? Really? They're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get you right next to, a, uh, like, a, a herd. Uh, a pride? Pride of lions? Maybe that's it. A pride of lions. And we're driving in this land cruiser, and I'm looking around. I'm like, no roof, no doors. I don't want to see lions. I'm not into this. Give me, like, a Sherman tank, and then we'll go see some lions. But not. But they, they seem like it's going to be cool. So anyway, so we go driving around, and we get down in this little gully, and here is this group of lions, and it was incredible to watch them. They're just like laying there, lounging together, like they just eaten a wildebeest or something. I don't know, like fat and happy, and you know, like their their mouth would open up to like a forty five degree angle. I'm like, I can fit my whole body in that thing. It's just insane. And if you've ever watched them eat, it's it's wild how they eat. I mean, they just they're and they're constantly eating, constantly devouring. And the imagery that we have here is that the devil's like that, like this animal that's just prowling around, wanting to devour you. And the image I had in my mind was this idea that, again, when it comes to temptation, we can either feed the flesh or feed the spirit. Now, if you're a lion, what do you want to eat? Something with a lot of flesh, right? Like, I want something as fat as possible with the flesh. So, so here's the reality. Feed the flesh, feed the lion. When you feed the flesh, you are feeding the lion. And here's what I know about lions in any animal is when they get a good meal, they always come back. They always, and some of you have felt this before, where you gave in to the temptation, you fed the lion, and then like five minutes later, an hour later, you're like, how am I back here again? It's because you fed the flesh and you fed the lion. So how does, how does Jesus combat this enemy? How, how could he come up against this? Well, verse 4, it says, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus goes to the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus says, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to combat the enemy in this temptation with the truth of God's word. So this is where, like most pastors, go into the whole sermon about you need to read your Bible more. Like, we could do that. That's a different sermon, but you need to read your Bible more. So just, I want to tell you that if, if this is your only Bible intake today, it's not enough. I want you to know you live in a week-long battle, 24 hours a day. The enemy seeks to destroy you, an hour of Bible teaching is not enough to help you to win the war. It's just not enough. So Jesus was able to tap into the scripture he had memorized, right? Because he'd spent some time memorizing, and he used that to overcome the enemy. Verse 5, it says, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. It's like they're, they're like teleporting now. I don't know what's going on here. It's like some Star Trek stuff, but like standing on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, listen to those words again, if you are, identity. He said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So notice what just happened here. So Jesus responds to the temptation of the devil with the scriptures. So the devil goes, okay, I can use the scriptures too. So he throws this scripture at Jesus. It basically says, hey, God will protect you. And gives him that advice, like, throw yourself down. If you are the Son of God, God will protect you. This is terrible advice, by the way. Like, he's pulling this completely out of context. It'd be me, like me saying, hey, go play in traffic in downtown Anchorage. God will protect you. That's, that's dumb. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. You'll be a pancake. Like, you're assuming something on God. You're trying to control God and manipulate him. That's not what that scripture is about. You see, what the devil uses is a partial truth to try to deceive Jesus. And you can write this down. Some of the most deceptive decoys are partially true. It's something that you're like, man, it feels kind of right. It's just not totally right. Or it's only partially wrong, but it's not totally wrong, right? Or, you know, it feels a little bit off, but I can't find a Bible verse that says I shouldn't do this. And so, 
And, and just even at the base of this, using the word of God, we've all probably done this. We've manipulated the word of God to try to get what we want. Have you ever gotten on Google and tried to look up verses just so that you can keep participating in the sin that you want in your life? Like if I can just find a verse that tells me it's okay to sleep with my girlfriend, like that's going to be great. Like if I can just find a verse that tells me it's okay that I can just, I can not be generous to people around me, that'd be great. Like, and, and if you do enough work, you'll find something. Like it'll be completely abused, but you'll find a way to make it happen. So I could do a whole series on scriptures that we abuse. Um, and I, I just thought of one, by the way, like right now, when it comes to the world around us, with all the conflict, we'll just talk about one real quick. And this is the classic one that we throw out, Matthew 7, 1. And I did it in the, the King James version, by the way, because like that's when people toss this one out like a truth grenade, it's always, I always hear it in the KJV. So it's like, like judge not, that ye not be judged, right? Like that's how I want to say this, judge not. Judge not that you not be judged, right? So this is the classic, like, catch-all, junk drawer scripture for anything that I want to continue doing, and I don't want your conviction, right? Like, I mean, if you like, my daughter, she's a teenager now, and she, she, like, she comes home, she's like, Dad, I met a boy, and I'd be like, huh? She's like, well, yeah. I'm like, tell me about him. She goes, well, he's 27, and I'm like, huh? And, uh, you know, he lives with his parents, and I'm like, huh? And, uh, like he's, uh, yeah, he like doesn't have a job, but he's, uh, it's, it's some kind of unemployment thing he likes to do. So I don't know, like, I feel like that's pretty good. So he gets, he's making money. So that's good. I'm like, huh? And then she's like, uh, and he's got two cats. And then I'm like, honey, you're not going to go out with this guy. And then she goes, dad, don't you know, Matthew seven, judge not that you not be judged parents. Just so you know, she's wrong, right? You need to help her out with that help her out with that. This scripture, we won't get into it too much. It's really about judging the intentions of a heart, but we are, as Christians, allowed to look at the world and go, hey, um, child abuse is wrong. Um, You know, you're hurting your family, you're hurting your kids, like this is wrong. Like we're okay to look at things, you know, human trafficking is wrong, right? Deception, lying, it's, it's wrong. Like we're okay to see those things within the context of understanding our own sin, that we're not here to be the final judge, we are here to see that there is a difference between living in the truth of Jesus and the lies of Satan. And so this is, this is important. That's a different sermon. But the enemy uses partial truths to get to our hearts. So Jesus responds with more scripture. It says, Jesus answered him. It is also written, I love this, do not put the Lord to test. Do not put the Lord your God to test. Jesus is saying, hey, testing God is not trusting God. And I'm not going to test, test my father. I'm not going to manipulate God into doing what I want. Jesus sees the devil and sees the trick. Verse 8, And the devil again took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Then he says this, All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. I just had like Lion King in my mind, like Simba, you know, like, all this is yours. I don't know. Maybe you've seen that movie. It's just where my head goes. But anyway, so it's like this moment where he's like, hey, all this can be yours. Everything can be yours if you just bow down and worship me, which if you know Satan, this is all he's ever wanted. The moment he fell from heaven was the moment that he decided he wanted to be God. He wanted worship. He didn't want to worship the one true God. So the temptation he's giving Jesus, he's like, he's like, Jesus, I know that there's this plan for your life. And man, there's some pain at the end, but like I can give you it all now. Like you can be, you can have everything you've ever wanted right now. All the power, I can give it to you right now. You can have the crown without the cross. You can have all the power without the suffering. This is a lie. And the same, the same lie comes at us. Like we, we want to we wanna get all the things. We want God to transform our hearts, but we, we don't want any of the pain. And here's the truth is that there are no shortcuts to holiness. There's no quick way to becoming the man or woman God wants you to be. It comes through desert times. It comes through day by day, little moments that we overcome temptation. Then he moves on, verse 10. And listen to how Jesus responds to Satan. He, Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. And I just want to pause for a moment because this is the, this is the decision-making moment. Like being tempted, we talked about this as we walked through the book of James. Temptation is not sin, okay? You've got to get that out of your head. If you live like that, man, well, I'm already tempted, so I might as well do it. No, 
No, you don't have to give into it. You can feel those impulses and temptations and go, no, I need, to, I need to give this to God right now. I have a decision to make right in this moment. And the decision I make with the temptation is what matters. Jesus' decision was to audibly, I think even verbally, call out Satan for who he was. And by the power of the Spirit of God who was in him, Jesus said, get away from me. Get away from me, Satan. He goes on and says, For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now listen to what happened when Jesus called out the devil. He says, Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So I don't know how you deal with temptation. And I get that some of you are like, I don't want to be weird, right? Like if I ever spoke to the devil in any way, like I, that, would be, that would be something they'd put me in a straight jacket or something like that. But there is a time where just, I mean, maybe alone tonight that you verbalize and say, hey, just get away from me. And I just want you to know that the same power that lives in Jesus lives in you. That same power to overcome the enemy lives inside of you and that you have all authority. And I just, as, as God's church, if you're a believer, you have everything you need to overcome the temptations in your life. And it's not in you, but it is in Christ. And maybe you just need to verbalize this just in the car. I get it. It's kind of weird. Just be like, hey, get away from me. Jesus is enough for me. And I know who he says I am. And maybe you just need to stand on that. So where do you move forward? How do you take a step when it comes to the decoys? I'm going to give you three things before we leave. The first is reflect. If you've got no margin in your life, you're never going to begin to identify the tactics of the enemy. If you just run, 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 go, 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 you won't see him at work. You might see the the covert things like, well, Brian, at least I'm not doing that. But there are overt decoys in your life that are taking you away from God's beautiful plan for you. And they're minimizing how God wants to use you. So you just need to stop and reflect. And I, I would encourage you this week, just take five minutes every day in the morning before you let your feet hit the carpet and just reflect and go, God, who am I? Who do you say I am? And how can I overcome the tactics of the enemy today? Just simply that. The next thing is this Repent. This is, this is really important, by the way. I know some of you are like, well, yeah, it starts with R, so that's good. No, like, this is really important. Repent. Repentance is simply to think differently. It means to simply call out the lie for what it is and to believe what is true. So that's, that's the next step is to go, okay, I'm going to reflect. I'm going to see the lie for what it is. The next thing is to repent and go, God, you have to change my thinking. You have to change the way I see my life and see this part of my life. And the third thing is this, resist. First reflect, then repent. And then you have something to do. We don't just sit around and say, God, heal me of all this stuff, but I'm not going to do anything about it. No, you can resist. In fact, James 4, 7 calls us to do this. It says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will what? He's going to flee from you. Like, just resist. Some of you just stopped resisting. You gave up a long time ago. You've thrown yourself into the hands of the enemy. Like, your call, once again, is not to battle with flamethrowers and rockets. It's just to resist, just to stand firm in what is true. And it, it says right here, like, if you just resist a little, just to stand up for a moment, just by the power of God in you, God will do the rest. He will overcome the enemy in your life. You actually can be free from things that you have struggled with for 20, 50 years. I've seen it before. I will definitely see it again. So I just believe that for you. If you want to take some steps today, I want to grab this sheet off your seat here. This is something we do as a church family. We do action steps. You just want to tear this little card off the bottom and uh, fill this out. You can just drop it in the basket on the way out. And again, we don't spam you. That's not, we're not trying to get anything from you. We just want to send you a text this week so that you don't go a whole week not thinking about this stuff. If there's a chance that you might forget what God's doing right now, we want to text you some encouragement. So you can drop these in the baskets, but maybe your, your box you need to check is just that you're going to choose to put your faith in Jesus. Like you've been trying to fight the devil and you've been losing for a long time because you can't beat him. You just can't do it. You cannot win apart from Christ. Today you're like, man, I'm done fighting on my own. Maybe you need to, uh, you need God's help seeing the tactics. Today you're like, I don't know what the bread is, Brian. I think it's in my life somewhere. But I just don't know what it is. If you ask God, he will show you. If you take this seriously, I think he'll show you. Maybe today you're going to say that I will no longer let my cravings cloud my identity. 
Remember, the enemy uses your worldly cravings, your human cravings, to pull you away from who God says you are. Or maybe today you acknowledge you have stopped resisting the enemy, but today you're going to resist stopping. <laughs> you're going to resist the, I'm just, I don't know, I just have given up to this part of my life. I just, I'm just an angry man. It's who I am. You've got to stop saying that. It's not who you are. That's not who God says you are. Like, you can have freedom, and I believe that God wants to do this in you today. Would you stand up? I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much that you are a God of freedom, and God, that you heal people who have been wounded and who have been in chains for a lot of years. And God, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it in my life, God, and I just pray that over ACF Church. For every man or woman in the room here today, God, you want to heal us and make us whole. God, it starts, I know, by just acknowledging our need for you. So together today, as a church, God, we cannot fight the enemy alone. I just, God, I want to claim that over this room and over this church family. God, we cannot do it alone. And would you forgive us for trying? Please, God, forgive us for that. And in that forgiveness, would you just lavish your grace on us to to be able to, to see the tactics of the enemy and then just to be able to stand firm and resist. Forgive us for giving up. Forgive us for buying into a small vision for our lives and thinking that this is who we are, that our sin is who we are. God, you paid the ultimate price for us so that we might experience freedom. So God, we, we, just, we believe that's coming in eternity, but would you allow ACF Church for all of us here to taste freedom today? God, may we be people that taste freedom today. May we be the kind of people that show that kind of freedom to our city to a lost and dying world, people who are being used by the enemy to tear this world apart. May we be the kind of people that build beautiful things in a world bent on its own destruction. We love you, God. We thank you for your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.